0: Hey everybody welcome to we talk photo i am one of your hosts john peterson and with me as always the king of new jersey
1: mr ex, jack the ex Graham, king of new jersey
0: the ex-king of new jersey yeah i'm not going it's back
1: there That's, the master of disaster no, no no disrespect to my friends in new jersey but i don't think i'll be heading back uh to live there too too, too soon. But anyhow, it's really good to be back um, from yeah. Eastern Washington, where we spend a week getting up at about three o'clock in the morning and dealing with three seasons of weather, which we're going to talk a little bit about here in a little while.
0: Yeah, it's been pretty amazing. We've had a good little run. We finally, uh, you know, gotten back out into the uh, workshop world and we uh, started up in the Olympic Peninsula uh, four weeks ago and did a or three weeks ago did a great workshop up there and then uh two weeks later headed off to the palouse and uh those are long 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 days
1: yeah Yeah. and you know john we went from a week ago today which was the day prior to the beginning of our workshop Uh, Tomorrow, uh, not today, tomorrow would be a week. I think a week ago tomorrow, it was 98 degrees in Colfax, Washington.
0: Yeah.
1: And on Sunday morning, it was about 38 degrees up on Steptoe Butte. So we experienced three seasons, maybe four. Maybe four, uh, yeah. In four days.
0: Yeah, the only thing I didn't see is snow and hail, but... uh almost almost yeah we were real 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 close to that so but no we had a great group and uh you know for this episode today Jack and I were talking and we uh we wanted to share with you guys uh, out in the listening audience some of the some of the themes that we've been preaching uh in in the last couple of workshops and it's you know really no different Jack than what we normally talk about in workshops but But it became really evident in the uh, in the Olympics and then in the Palouse, these these themes. And so we wanted to remind everybody in this episode and talk through a few of our images um, just to kind of reinforce these themes that we were that we were teaching everybody.
1: Yeah. And, you know, John, for the folks that are listening to this mobily, uh, is that a word mobily mobily? mobile good enough, and, and or while they're driving listening to podcasts or if they're not able to look at a computer we're going to try to describe this as much as possible but if at all possible it would really be good for you to get to a computer and and take a look at these photographs because they they're there for a reason you'll get this all in a couple of minutes and yeah john is right we you know we have a, kind of a mantra on things um You know, this is not a gear-centric podcast, and we're not really gear-centric workshop leaders either. Um, You know, we more or less tell folks that if you're taking – if your pictures aren't up to your standards, it probably isn't the camera or the lenses, you know.
0: (laughs) Nope, it's that six inches behind the camera. Or the iPhone. Or the iPhone, exactly. Or the the drone. Exactly.
1: And we're both dueling drone Yeah. People.
0: Playing with drones is, out in
1: the all, blues. You know, one of these days we need to do something here with that too. That. Well, I will tell you, I, I had a ball flying that drone with you out there and yeah. learning some stuff from you. John is the drone, no, the drone uh, guru here, and I'm learning a lot from John. So.
0: And I tell you, but you know, getting getting the camera up above the landscape, we're all so used to, to taking pictures six feet off the ground. When you can get your camera a hundred feet off the ground, you see a whole new perspective on the landscape, and it really opens up your photographic possibilities. It, it's, or
1: or five hundred feet, or f- like well, no. like our friend Bill Fortney did.
0: Well, yeah, yeah, America above five hundred feet. Yep. But yeah, so drone drones are fun to really, you know, if you're if you're if you're feeling stuck, photographically or creatively. You know, drones could be something to to experiment with because you get a whole different perspective and and can really shoot some interesting uh, interesting images. We yeah, and
1: we'll we'll get into that someday, John. The only thing I yeah. would add to this, and then we'll get off the drone situation, is you know, if you're going to fly a drone, um, don't fly it where you're allowed, and yeah. don't don't. I got to tell you, I, I don't know if you were with me. I think you might have been. We were up on Ruby Beach one time, and some guy came down there with, with two drones, <laughs> and we were trying to just do something, and it was it it was like a bunch of bees flying around, and it was horrible. So be respectful. Yeah. Yep. It's
0: disruptive.
1: Yep. Yep. Okay. Anyhow, enough enough about drones.
0: Enough about drones. So I think you know the first theme, Jack. Just I don't have an image to go with it, but. But the first thing, and you've you've said this for years, and that's slowing down. Again, just a public service announcement to everybody to slow down when you get on location. It's the only way that you're going to truly see some unique and artistic compositions. If you're running around from, from spot to spot to spot, you're never going to get in touch with your surroundings. And you're never going to see beneath just the surface and really really see all those details and and nuances of the landscape.
1: I take that one step further and and say, you know, before you even take your camera out of the bag, I I would slow down and walk around and and, uh, try to figure out what's photographable and what's not and what's full of clutter and what a good subject is and is the light good where you're, looking or is there something you want to say about what you're seeing and you know, a lot of times when you already have a camera and a tripod you're you know fiddling around with buttons and settings and you're paying more attention to that than what you're looking at so all of this begins prior to the for me prior to the camera coming out of the back you know
0: no very true very true um it's it's amazing, you know, when a workshop starts, uh, everybody just piles out of the car and instantly starts taking pictures. And by the time the workshop ends, people are much more thoughtful.
1: Well, and they so, are. But I, again, we and I would I would, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to tell everybody how to, that runs photo workshops how to run photo workshops. But, you know, I. I would, I know a lot of you who listen to this, or maybe a few of you who listen to this, or other workshop leaders. But you know, we preach this slowing down thing uh, all the time, and then when we get in the field, uh, we, we, you know, we say, okay, we only have an hour here, so, so hurry up, hurry up and get your images. Um, it, it's yeah. kind of contrary to what we preach, we tell our people that we're very, very uh, emphatic. To say that, you know, unfortunately, we want to get to a couple locations here today, and you know, um, you have to, you have to watch your clock. And time is a is a um, it, it's a disruptive force to our creativity. And we're actually doing something opposite to what we're preaching and what we're trying to teach people is that when they're not on a workshop and they're out by themselves or with a smaller group that slowing down is going to be better than buying new gear or anything and a good way to slow down is <laughs> get get old <laughs> mm-hmm. you know get old and or buy a tripod tripod will slow you down that's a good, good thing you know so
0: well sort of you know jack sort of related to that uh Rolling into a scene because we have limited time, and or the sun, you know, the the lights changing rapidly, and we tell people to to hurry up. Part of part of that, and we were teaching uh, visual inventory, you know, and and as you just described, you know, assessing the quality of the light, what's in the composition, what stories do you want to tell, those types of things, and being able to go through that visual inventory quickly is a is a learned skill. That and we were kudos, to tell
1: to, people. kudos to you know our friend and a, a really kind of an old photographic buddy of mine guy tal he coined that phrase it's the first place i heard that term visual inventory and guy is maybe one of the most insightful and thoughtful photographers on the planet and it's it's a great term i, I don't want to take credit for that i, I give credit to guy for that yeah. and but it's so true. You have to be aware of what's what you're looking at, you know. And yeah. I'm sure a lot of you who are listening to this, you know, you're saying, "Well, yeah, you know, I do that," and you know, I I always do that, and I, you know, but a lot of people need you need to think about it. And even if you think you do it, sometimes you don't. I, I mean, I have to think about it. So. Oh yeah, uh, it's good, good. Good to good to be aware of. You know, it's,
0: it it helps flex that creative muscle and keep it in shape by by consciously doing this inventory, um, yeah. pre pre capture, during the capture, and post capture. Uh, there's three places. Yeah, now it's
1: not going to always be the fact you can do that. In fact, one of the images I'm going to show, in fact, two of them, um, they were taken within a few seconds of each other, and it was an incredible light situation that only lasted about 30 seconds so i didn't have time to slow down and yeah i you know i i got fortunate to see what i saw and stop the truck and jump out and get to get the photograph but 90 percent of the time you know you're gonna you're gonna have to slow down to yep to make things work
0: yep very true so that kind of leads us that's a great lead into the to the The theme that we really wanted to talk about today, which is uh you won't know if you don't go oh, no
1: no you don't, if you if you don't go you won't know same thing yeah and and actually i didn't i didn't i didn't coin that I think my wife Linda coined that one time <laughs> where I wanted to sleep in and she said, you better go because if you don't go you don't know, and I've been using it ever since and uh we had a great example of that in Eastern Washington last week. uh Do you want to lead in on how we came how that came to be last week John
0: Well, sure, so this is uh saturday Saturday afternoon. We've been running hard all week, getting up at two forty 240, two forty five in the morning, getting to bed about ten o'clock at night. Everybody is dog tired in but in a good way and So Saturday afternoon rolls around and we're seeing clouds in the sky and we're building. Yeah. Building. Um, You know, normally up in the Palouse this time of year, oftentimes it's just blank sky. And, and we started seeing some, some clouds building in the sky. We knew that everybody in the group was really tired. So we put it out to the group to say, you know what? You guys can go or don't go, but Jack and I are, recommend that we go up to the up to Steptoe Butte. Now the group the group was kind of burned out a little bit on Steptoe Butte because we'd been there twice before and uh, there were some people that were just so tired and didn't anticipate what might happen they decided to stay back in the motel and rest.
1: I think a couple of them had a margarita or two at Uh, the uh, Mexican dinner at
0: (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah, <you> have to. <laughs> yeah. There's that too. So alcohol, being tired, they they were done. <laughs> but but we took a small group with us up to Step Butte because we thought that there might be some potential for some really unique conditions happening. Potential, potential. But you know, and it's back to that phrase of uh, you know you won't know if you don't go. We decided to go. Because, you know, if you photographed up there any number of times, oftentimes it's the same sky and the same landscape, which is beautiful. But, you know, two, three, six, twelve 12 times up there with that same sky and it gets pretty boring. But we saw something that could have been unique. And so yeah, that's when, what we wanted to do. When it gets about.
1: good, when it gets crazy up there, the light is, it is that. It's crazy. It can, it can. And I've seen it. I've seen this crazy light many times, and it's never the same as it wasn't last week. And it was yeah. great.
0: And so what what happened when we got up there, it was a lot of thunderclouds, rainstorms, sun rays, rainbows, um, pink afterglow. I mean, everything under the sun happened. And to And to have a chance at these unique environmental conditions, it just proved the point of even when you're tired, even when you don't want to go, go get out
1: you know yes it's absolutely true and we, we we're very fortunate to to be uh be blessed with uh just amazing amazing light that hopefully that you those of you who are listening to this without a computer can get to a computer to see some of these images to see what the light was so let's uh, you want to you want to delve into these john sure right? yeah you tell me how you, you tell me how you want to do this because no let's john, go john, john is the um he's the producer really of these <laughs> podcasts i just sit here and talk he yeah, does, he does. All, the technical end of it and he'll post the images so i, I don't know how he does that so i'm going to let him tell me which image he wants or, or well let's let's start
0: with it. your images jack let's uh you've got five or six that you want to talk about so why don't you okay. s- why don't you try to paint a, a quick visual picture and then talk about why you shot it and how you shot it?
1: Okay, John, John I think is going to try when he posts these to try to um, number them and name them or something so you'll know which one we're referring to. Um, the first image is uh, it's a, almost an abstract image, and it was raining like you can't believe. Uh, it was very tough conditions. The wind was blowing sideways. Fortunately it wasn't blowing at our face. It was coming sideways, but it was very windy up there. Temperature was dropping. It was rather cold. Um, but one of the things up at Steptoe Butte, you're looking down on these, what we call folds. They're hills of green wheat that overlap, um, you know it could be 15 or 20 of them and when when the conditions are normal i think you've all seen the images and they're 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 pretty amazing but when they get like they got on saturday night there's just opportunity for some other things so you know in this image what was happening is the foreground was dark and the background was bright because the sun was kind of setting about one o'clock to where we were standing um one or two o'clock on our right to where we're standing. So the background was darker than the foreground. And what I wanted to accomplish was to, you know, underexpose a little bit to make the highlights not be blown out. And what I got, I was even amazed. I, I, it was better than I thought uh, when I looked at the scene because these folds shot with a long lens. And I'm going to let John talk about the proper lenses to use when you go up there. Uh, I think it was a 400 millimeter lens um, just overlapped. And the background was a rainstorm coming through foreground had rain, but not as hard as the background. And it made for an absolute amazing uh, uh, experience. When you look at this, you're not gonna know where it is and you won't know it's in the Palouse. It could be the Smoky Mountains, it could be a number of places in, in America, but or in the world. But the conditions were horrible, but the results paid off. And you know, I'm looking at this image now, John. I think you know which one I'm looking at. It's the all green image with nothing in it but the folds. Yeah. Um it's I'm ethereal, it's run. misty,
0: it's it's gorgeous.
1: Yeah, I'm counting yeah. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen that I can see, and maybe one way in the background, ridge lines horizontally yeah. across, with different shades of green made by the uh, shadows, you know, and yeah. the con- weather conditions. So.
0: This is all about texture and pattern, and and to have this mist in these rainstorms is a unique condition that we don't normally experience up there
1: yeah and yeah. it was it was amazing
0: yeah with that um, wind blowing wind in the rain it's like we would hop in the truck for five minutes till the rain shower passed, and hop back out and shoot and it was yeah. uh it was entertaining
1: thank you fuji film for weather good weather resistant limbs lens, lenses camera, <laughs> yeah you know? So it was, yeah. it was all good um the second image was taken in monochrome a gray it was shot on the way to the location on, on the road leading to the entrance to, uh, Stiptoe Butte. And, um, there was a big rainstorm off to our right, great clouds. And off to our left, there was a, you know, I don't know if you caught this, John, I think you were ahead of me, but, or, or back. I mean, this only lasted about 30 seconds. There was a ray of light coming down on one of the hillsides. And, uh, Of course, it was green that we'll talk about in the next image. But the black and white or monochrome gray image, um, that was shot using the the road as a leading line. And I was so fortunate to have a car coming right at me. So I quickly popped my ISO up. And so I had a shutter speed of about 300 of a second or more. I'm not sure what it was. I could look here if I could see. But um, yeah, I think it was like a 250th or a 300th of a second to kind of freeze the car with those headlights on. But it's all about the storm in the background and the light shining on that hillside on the left side of the road uh, using that leading line. Um, and it was just, again, an experience that if we didn't go up there, this wouldn't have happened. And this is one of my favorite images that I've ever made in the Palouse after looking at it. Uh, mm-hmm. Just was very, very blessed to be able to go up there and see that. But the next image after that is what – it was that hillside. And, you know, if you look real carefully on on the top part of this image, John, I know you probably have it in front of you. You can actually see the rain coming out of the clouds, uh, some god beams moving from left to right, Big rain that big rainstorm still on the right-hand side. But I I ran up the road – and got kind of centered, so I can put that lighted um, hill there in green, sticking out like a like a like a sore thumb there. And
0: yeah, everything else is dark except for that green hillside that's just getting hit with direct sunlight, and it's such a yeah. striking contrast between the rest of the scene. It's incredible,
1: and you, and you can see the light above it coming out of the clouds. It's the yeah. only bright spot really in the clouds. I mean, it was like somebody had a big flashlight uh, on that hillside. And again, folks, this only lasted, you know, maybe 30 seconds. So I didn't have time to slow down. And no. I I got out. In fact, I have, I'm have. i not going to lie to you. This was handheld. This was not shot on a tripod. I didn't have time.
0: But after being, um, and,
1: and after being up there for the
0: whole week, this is the only night that we saw right. action like this. And we right. had to go.
1: Right, right. Yeah. You know, and again, it's the drama of the storm. And rather than sit in the hotel room, uh, which would have been drier and warmer, I mean, I, I, I'm just amazed that, you know, this happened in front of us, and it was mm-hmm. crazy. Um, next image was taken from Steptoe Butte, and it's just an image of the angry sky with the rain coming down. Looking north, uh, or actually, what are we looking here, John? Looking we look southwest looking southwest yeah and um it's just coming across the sky uh the sky is the the sky and the rain is the subject the the beautiful green of the wheat and the folds and the landscape is really uh just ancillary it just tells you kind of where you are but the subject is the, the storm up there and um this again lasted for a few minutes and it um you know, as the sun set, the sky started to turn color. And then we had a brief, uh, a brief couple minutes. And if you go to the next image, you'll see the pink sky where we had that, you know, ethereal pink sky. Um, this image doesn't look particularly sharp. And the reason this is it sharp is because it was pouring rain. I mean, it was right. it was raining like crazy. But that kind of added to the effect. I'm sure somebody has a plug-in that can give you this effect. Um, it's just ordinary. I, I don't know, but this is the way it was up there. And, again, this lasted, I don't know, maybe 20 seconds or so. And it was an amazing time. And, you know, again, and I've been doing this a fair amount of years, and Saturday night was as good as I've ever seen up there. And uh, we we actually had a double rainbow um, ah. for a few minutes. Um, I mean, it was crazy. Uh, John, it's all yours. That's, uh, enough about me, John. As as Forty and I talk about, enough about me. Let's talk about you. Yeah, for what sure. What do you think about me?
0: Well, <laughs> let me tell you, Jack.
1: Oh, no, no, don't do that. Oh, you, At least family, not on the air. It's, no. family, it's a family show. No, no, no. On, it is a 2021, so we need to be be conscious. Uh, uh, correct. Of what
0: we do. Yes. Well, you know. So the images that I, I just pulled real, real quick, some images, and and the first image that uh, that I'll talk about is a shot of some windmills off in the distance, and the foreground in this shot is really really dark. The windmills are at medium brightness, and then the very background is illuminated by the sunlight. And there's rain showers coming from this very dark cloud up above, stretching down and touching the windmills. And, you know, normally I don't like shooting the windmills up there, but that's where the drama was. And kind of having the juxtaposition of these man-made objects against uh, nature's wrath, I thought, was uh, was just kind of an interesting shot. And again, I wasn't really shooting subject. I was shooting the light and shooting the
1: conditions. You know, an image like this, John, this is a kind of shot that's very sellable these days i don't know what you make you won't make now what you would have made ten years ago, but you know environmentally, you know everybody's into the wind thing and solar thing and all of that and this is the kind of stuff that that has uh has some value these days yeah it's a for great sure. shot for sure but the rain i mean it's the rain it's the it's the rain
0: yeah, everything was about the light and the sky on this um. So then the next image, I shot, uh, I shot directly into the sunset. And, you know, half the time when I do this, the shots don't work out. But in this case, it did, where my sky is a beautiful... The, so the sky is blank because it's so... It's right on the verge of being blown out. Um, but it takes up two-thirds of the frame. And then the bottom f- part of this image is really the hills and a few trees in really dark silhouette and you can still see the layers but this was sort of a study of minimalism and shooting directly into the sun which a lot of people don't do and the, and everything is so diffuse because of the cloud cover and then there's mist in the valleys between the between the folds and it was a very very different image and I saw this happen you know again 30 seconds to a minute this weird light was happening in this mist down by the trees, so again I turned I turned to the unique conditions and shot it. Um, yeah, this is high turning key. out to be one of my favorites. High key. Yeah, it is a high key image, very very true, which I don't normally shoot a lot of. So most I was I was kind of amazed that I was drawn to it and shot it.
1: Yeah, most people don't. That's why you look at it. It's yeah. great.
0: You know, and and the, the other shot, too, is uh, is the shot of the Whitman grain silo, which is a very famous, popular silo up there, and everybody shoots it. But I don't see a lot of people have ever posted a shot where it is uh, misty. So all of the rain and all of the atmosphere created this mist across the entire landscape, and to shoot the grain silo in this sort of diffuse light that's very misty is is a unique take on a very familiar subject. I mean, I hey, you know what you... happens, John, is hmm.
1: that the, the, when the rain comes down, it, it and the sun hits the 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 rain and the, the water coming down on the angle that the sun was. You know, it it makes it, it it kind of puts a really different glow on the light that that you normally have. Normally, this would be deep green. You know the. The ground will be deep emerald green, but it really warms up the light and adds kind of like a like a fog almost that yeah that you don't get I mean you just don't get this when the conditions are are, are normal and like you said if this if on a normal night with no rain you know I mean technically yeah it's a good picture but so what it's been shot a million times no but when you have it in these conditions it adds a lot of intrigue.
0: Right, right, which, which kind of lends itself to that discussion, which we won't get into, around how do you differentiate yourself? How do you shoot differently at familiar locations? Well, you take advantage of unique light and unique environmental conditions to do shots like this. Because, yeah, this silo has been shot to death, but I've, I've yet to see one quite like this. So. Yeah, yeah. Then the next shot, again, is that traditional green field, but the sky... And the rain, so the, for those of you listening, the green folds kind of extend halfway into the frame. And then there's just this wall of gray and it's the rain showers coming down. So again, normally this is a very familiar scene, but all of the distant landscape has been obscured by the rain. And that's a very unique uh, perspective that I don't see very often either.
1: So that's... you, You did a good job here, John, on... And I don't know what you did, if you processed this or not, but... No. You know, um, when you do process this and work on it, I, people have a tendency to really make the sky really dark and black, which it's mm-hmm. not. And I, I mean, just the, the way it looks now, is just it's the way it looked. It, it, mm-hmm. it's, not it's a worth.
0: lot of contrast, somewhat flat, and uh, it's not the color that's going to make people stop and look at this. It's the dichotomy between this blank sky and no background and it's just a foreground and a midground. yep yeah it's really unique
1: well it's conditions
0: conditions so then the other shot here that i'll post up it's the uh, the road that leads up to the top of steptoe butte and we were standing there i just turned around to look what was behind me and this road this black asphalt road had been rained on so it was very wet and very dark And it just happened to be at a time when the sunlight broke through the clouds and cast this beautiful warm light on the foliage to the side of the road. And this road just leads up into the distance and off into these angry black storm clouds. Again, if you would see this road on any other night without this storm, it's nothing. It's not a shot. But because that sky was so unique, this was a workable shot, and I think it came out really well. Yep, yep. That's a that's a fun thing to do when it's when it's stormy up on step toe. Then the next one, just a shot of the rainbow. Again, you don't see these that often up there, and uh, I got a I got a rainbow arcing from the top down to the lower right, with one bush in the foreground. There was no. There was nothing else really to shoot just from where we were and the angle of the rainbow, so I put one landscape element, which is this large bush, and
1: the rainbow so that that was you know if you folks, if you go back and look at that shot going up the road, if you kind of go go to the right at the top of the road where you fall off the side of the hill, uh that's where these rainbows start because they're about 90 degrees from the sun and you typically will get a rainbow when the sun is at about a 40 to 45 degree angle i know uh a galen uh, late galen rowell taught us uh i remember we were together one time and he taught us that uh that uh, rainbow i think he said it was like 43.2 degrees and hmm. Gale and he had it down i mean we yeah. did but he knew and uh you know um it, that's when they happen so you have to be aware in fact i remember telling everybody if there's going to be a rainbow there's where it's going to be and it, and sure enough about five ten minutes later one showed up and the other thing you need to do is you need to um remove your polarizer polarizers are going to tend to take away the the rainbow effect um and, uh, and I like to underexpose just a little bit because it brings out the color of the rainbow. So, just remember: forty-five degrees, forty forty-five degrees, ninety degrees from the sun. Underexposed, no polarizer. But you have to know when the potential is going to be there for a rainbow. It also helps a lot.
0: Yep, you got to get ready. That's for sure. So, and, and then you know, we saw another rainbow off to the right, and then somebody said they maybe thought a thought they saw a third rainbow, but never confirmed again, unique conditions.
1: You know, the worst thing you can do is Hmm. be in your hotel room and look out and see the rainbow. (laughs) I got (laughs) to tell you I've I've been there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think all of us have at one point. Yeah. And then finally it was just that ethereal glow that, that, that pink color that Jack showed up. He, He really focused in close on the, on the color and the landscape I took a bit of a wider view to show the tops of the clouds and how I go from blue sky into these thunderheads that are dark and then this light pink and then this rolling green landscape. And rain showers sort of obscuring the uh, the background of the landscape and it's just very unique conditions that we never saw all week and probably didn't see probably not seeing this week up there either. So you won't know If, if you don't go, you won't know. And that was no matter how tired we were, we had to get up there because these are unique shots that you don't often get in the Palouse.
1: Yeah. No, it was a great night. It was one of the best nights I've ever had up there. And, you know, it's a funny thing when you do get to where you're going, maybe you're dragging, getting there, but when you get there and this happens, boy, the adrenaline starts going and you wake up and it's all good. So, um, You know, you don't need this kind of stuff to make a photograph, but boy, it sure helps, doesn't it?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it helps immensely, especially when you're in in places that have been shot a lot. You know, I I just like the uniqueness of some of these images. And it doesn't have to be the Palouse, but like that high key shot that I showed. um, That's not something I normally do. But right there, it was so right. And now I have that in my portfolio as something a little bit different. So I'm, I'm very thankful for, for those conditions.
1: I hear you. Um, one of the things, John, and I will sign off here. Um, yeah. Talk a little bit about your experience with long lenses out there in the Palouse region.
0: For sure. You know, leading up to the workshop, there was, there was a few folks who were asking me about lens choices and, and I never I never really like to be unequivocal and tell people this is what you need. Uh because it, it really depends on everybody's photographic style.
1: It all depends.
0: It all depends. Um but you know, if you do visit the Palouse, I'm I'm now convinced that it's mandatory to have at least four hundred millimeters up there, no matter what. Because we're dealing with such a vast landscape, how do you simplify and isolate? And the only way to do that, especially when you're up on step-toe, is with 400 millimeters. I shot with a 1.4 teleconverter on there, so I was up at 560. That's the only way to sort of simplify and isolate and, and craft a composition with these folds of the landscape. Yeah, you know, if you were if you were up on step toe with a wide angle, you would get hundreds and hundreds of square miles in your shot, and and so what's the story with that? Well, a vast landscape. Okay, great, but when you can narrow the field of view and focus in on two, three, five folds in the landscape with the shadows and the beautiful light hitting the tops of it, that. To me, is a much more compelling story than a wide-angle shot, and so that's why I'm I'm convinced that 400 millimeters and up is a requirement for photographing in the Palouse.
1: Yeah, especially you know, it's not, especially at steptoe. and that's yeah. kind of you know, it's kind of where everybody seems to congregate for sunset. Um, th- though there are some other places, but you know when you're when you want to compress what we call the folds the the hillsides uh and and bring out the shadows what's funny about going up there is people say well let's go up to Steptoe for sunset and that's correct the sun does set and it's a nice sunset up there but the real reason for going there is what happens about 45 minutes before sunset when the Sun is still up, casting a long angle of light on those uh, hillsides, which are, you know, in shadow on the left side. It's the shadows is why, why I like to go, not so much the sunset. but And that happens before sunset. Um, you also need to – it's also a helpful thing to know, and maybe we're giving away some trade secrets here, John, but that's okay. <laughs> we're here to help folks. Uh, you know, it always just amazes me. You know, I'd go to Death Valley and I'd be up on top of the sand dunes right at the right time for sunrise and I'd watch people leaving the hotel because when you when you calculate sunrise there, it's it's way before sunrise. And you know, you say, Well, I I get there for sunrise at seven, well I'll get there at six fifteen. Not up there. The good light in Death Valley is about five thirty to five forty five, five fifty. In the Palouse, the sunset might be at eight o'clock, but at seven fifteen is when those shadows start hitting on those falls. And that's why you gotta know that and you gotta have a long lens. You gotta have something to compress those uh compress those falls and to get the effect, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you you think a big landscape, and and a lot of people just think wide-angle, but I don't, I think the only time the wide-angle was on my camera was when we were shooting the small towns. Otherwise, it was uh, 70 to 200, or 100 to 400. Yep, Yep. yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. That wide-angle stayed in the bag, so... There's well, a little, uh, yeah, little information from the Palouse and a little image review and why you should, uh, even though you're tired, get up, get out when there's unique conditions.
1: Yep, I, I hear you. Now you got a, you're going down to the Oregon Coast here in two weeks. Am I yeah, correct?
0: Yep. Yep. Got a small little uh, workshop going on in the Central Oregon Coast, and uh,
1: I, I think you might have room for another person if you wanted to. Any sum last it minute additions? Yep. You know, Anybody that
0: I'm, wants to go can. I'd love to have you on board. This is uh, uh, unlike other Oregon Coast workshops that travel a, a good distance. We're going to be focused uh, largely in the YAHATS area and and really work in this this central Oregon coast. In, uh, in,
1: uh, and and over... John knows that area. John's got a, a mil, about a fifteen million dollar <laughs> mansion in YAHATS and then i woke and, up and knows uh, every inch of that place yeah um, i spent
0: a you know, well, good part of my childhood and my adulthood out there so i know the area really well and uh happy to teach a uh, uh, kind of a master class out there of uh really photographing the ocean and getting in touch with your uh getting in touch with the composition and 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 crafting a really artful seascape. So that's that's the goal of the workshop in a couple of weeks. So
1: yeah, and and uh, Bill Fortney and I'll be in. Let's say we have some openings for the UP of Michigan in uh, October. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else, and then we'll be down in Northern Ohio, which is kind of a, it's kind of a really. I lived there for a, a while, and it's, it, man, it's almost like Vermont there if you hit the color right. It's a little secret yeah. place. To See, it's great. And that's in, in uh, October as well. Um, I'll be up at the Madeline Island Art School uh, late September to do a five-day event. I don't, I don't book that myself. That's done through the art school up at Madeline Island, which is in Lake Superior uh, outside of Duluth, in, uh, in, but it's in Wisconsin. And then um, I've got my monochrome workshop at the Pacific Northwest art school at be Island um, in November. Uh, yeah. I'm not doing 24 workshops anymore. I'm going to do a number with John number with bill and, and but that's what we have coming up, looking at us for the rest of the year. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, Jack, I will add to that that uh, since we are on the Palouse, I'll say that uh, I am running that uh, oh, yeah, yeah. You be there Palouse August. Harvest. So in August, we're going to be up there and photographing the Palouse area, and it's a much different experience. And the you know the color palette is not green; it's brown and gold and yellow. And it's just a whole different feel to this beautiful landscape, so I'm looking forward to that one.
1: And you sure. get to sleep in an extra, probably an extra hour and maybe fifteen, maybe an extra minutes hour.
0: Before. Yeah, <laughs> and then the Tetons in winter, I still have a couple spots open for that, and then you get to really sleep in on that one. So, you know, photographing uh, Grand Teton National Park in winter is a very unique. It's it's kind of our favorite time, right, Jack? I mean, it's yeah. Well, I'm gonna the skip are going to probably skip that one
1: this year. Yeah. Um, I don't wanna say why yet, but uh I'm gonna probably skip that one this year. And, uh, you never know. I might show I mean, who knows. I it's hard for me to keep away from that if I can do yeah. it because it's it's my favorite time of the year to be out there. And yep,
0: for sure. So we'll be out there. At least one of us will be out there. Yeah. yeah, yeah this yeah, yeah. winter. So think about coming along.
1: And there you get up at six thirty in the morning. <laughs> I know. It's luxury. Yeah. Well listen folks, it's been a pleasure. I hope you got a little bit out of this and remember if you don't go, you don't know. So get out and do your thing and and uh enjoy enjoy the fun of what we do here. Yep. John, as always, the pleasure's been all yours and uh I can't even do that with a anymore. <laughs> the pleasure has been mine folks. Um, yeah. It's been good to do this again. And we'll be back with uh, some exciting guests coming up here in the next uh, couple weeks. And we'll tease you with that. And uh, with that, I'm going to say, see you later. All right. See you later folks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.